are going to be continuing our series on prayer this morning, and we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 6, the last part or the second part of the disciples' prayer. Um, as we've been thinking about prayer, we've been, um, I've, I've sought to remind us every week that the reason for this series is to instill confidence in how to pray if, if prayer is something that you don't have a lot of confidence in or to stir up a renewed passion for personal prayer. And I pray and I've been encouraged by the number of you that have been taking the challenge to pray and to put a focus on prayer and how the Lord has been your reward. And if you have not yet really jumped in, then I encourage you this week to do so. In fact, uh, many of you, um, I believe, if I were to understand it correctly, will have opportunity uh, to get into your prayer room, especially uh, some of our men as they climb into deer stands this week. And so may that be a place of prayer, not just for a big buck, but for a connection to the Lord in prayer. As we've been looking at this Lord's Prayer um, and the idea of prayer, we've looked at so far the motivation of our heart for prayer. Not for man's applause or not for man's reward, but for God to be our reward. That we would do it even in secret just because he is enough for us to go to him in prayer. And, and then last week we looked at sort of the content of prayer, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer as Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. And it largely focuses in the front half on our hearts being bent and bring, being brought into alignment with God's heart as we worship him and as we ask for his kingdom to come and as we ask for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this morning, as we look at the second part of this prayer, we begin to move into the content of our prayer in which we ask God for those things in which we need. I'm reminded um, of something I read about prayer not that long ago in that one of the reasons maybe that we have lost our fervor for prayer is that we have in many ways in America lost the art of boredom. And that seems like a weird thing, but because we can entertain ourselves at any moment, Moments that we used to pray, maybe driving in the car or sitting in a drive through or sitting in a doctor's waiting room or sitting on the couch waiting for the rest of the family to get ready to go somewhere where we might have prayed or even on our lunch break. Now we pull out a device, typically a phone, and we've cured our boredom, but we've robbed ourselves of the opportunity to pray. There is a statistic uh, that is so amazing to me, but it's so true, that on average, we feel an innate need to touch our cell phones every 12 minutes. There is a desire just to touch it, to just check it, to scroll something, to see what alerts have popped up every 12 minutes. And by me even mentioning that, some of you are jonesing 
To touch it. Yeah, <laughs> right now. You're going, I'm going to do it after he moves on to the next topic. But, oh, would it be that we would have that same desire to connect with our heavenly Father on such a regular basis. And so as we look into Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading in verse 9, but the focus of today will be 11 through 13 with a brief look at verse 14 and 15 here in a moment. But this is what Jesus says. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now just as a reminder, this passage, this teaching on the Lord's Prayer is couched right into the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And in fact, even within the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving three ways in which those who want to honor the kingdom of God and put forth acts of righteousness. He says, here's the motivation. Don't do it for others. Do it because it is between you and your heavenly Father. And it's how we give, it's how we pray, and it's how we fast. And in the middle of this conversation about how we pray, he teaches and gives some content about this is how you can pray. This is a guide for how to pray. And so that's sort of where we've jumped in as he's teaching and he's preaching. And so this morning as we think about the content, I want to look at three personal petitions. Last week we looked at three God-centered petitions. This week we will look at three personal petitions. Number one, we notice in verse 11 that we are to bring our needs to God. We are to bring our needs to God. He says, you can pray this, pray in this way. Give us this day our daily bread. There's so much to unpack in all of these, but just briefly notice the specific nature of God provide for me today what I need. How often I would love to be able to pray, God, meet my yearly need. God, would you just go ahead and give assurance of the full month's need? The full year, God, would you, until my kids graduate and all the expenses tied to them, God, would you just give assurance of providing for that need? And yet, Jesus says, daily. And the reason for that is because it is, there's several reasons, but one is every day we are to be thankful and to ask for that which is our daily need, our daily bread, if you will. I don't know um, about you, but I feel very confident that there are a number of stories in this room that could be told, if given the chance, about God's faithfulness to provide a daily need. 
one that we did not know two days ago how it was going to be met today. But when today came, God delivered the daily need. This, this past uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, uh, my wife and I, Jennifer, we went up to the Dallas area, to the Euless area, um, for the Southern Baptist of Texas annual convention. And while we were there, um, we went and heard a report about Southwestern Seminary and heard through that report that the housing that we lived in when we were in seminary was going to be uh, sold at the end of this year and uh, all these kind of things. And so we just felt like, okay, we don't know what's going to happen to it. So let, let's drive over and just play the nostalgia reminiscent game and walk around um, these little duplexes in what was called Carroll Park. And so we found our unit there on Bolt Street. And man, I cannot tell you how the memories just flooded back. Because for us, there's never been a time in our married life that we've been more poor <laughs> than when we were in seminary living in that house. And while there's a, I guess, a comfort in that we are not as poor now as we were then, there is something about being in that spot where we had to depend on daily bread. I, I, I just, the, the memories just kept coming back. And I remember we had, we had I mean, we got married, went on a, got on a cruise ship, stepped off the cruise ship and moved to Fort Worth, Texas. We, we had not even seen the place where we were living. We had just sort of gotten a sign, brought all of our stuff and showed up. And, I, and we didn't even have jobs. We didn't know anybody. And so we're putting all this together and tuition is coming due in that second semester and we just didn't have it. And that's the whole reason we moved there. And I remember we prayed, God, we know you've called us here. The deadline to pay the tuition for this semester is coming up. And a guy at the office that Jennifer was working at wrote a check and just handed it to her and said, hey, we'd like to pay for your tuition this semester. God's daily bread. I, I, I walking around in the parking lot of Carroll Park, just reminding me of the two junker cars that we had. And being reminded where my car went down and we took it to like a CarMax and we almost had to pay them to take it. I mean, it was just <laughs> so bad, bad of shape. And I'd, I had a bicycle that I would ride to work into the campus. It was close enough to do that. It wasn't a great neighborhood, so it was a bike that I could take the front wheel off, bring it inside as a deterrent, and somebody stole the other part of that bike, <laughs> just like a halfway unicycle riding around. And I remember thinking, how am I going to do this? And Jennifer at that time was working at a dentist office and was just sort of sharing uh, man, Todd's bike got stolen, the car went down. He said, I've got a car that I haven't, we've got two adults and three cars at our house. Um, how about we just give it to you and you just pay for the change of title. God's daily bread. Understand this, we are to bring our needs before God. But understand he doesn't always answer it in our timing. But when the day comes that we have genuine need, 
For those who follow him, he provides. The insight is this. We are to come as we pray and we ask him for our needs. We come with a heart posture of dependence on him. And he will take care of you. Just a few verses later in Matthew chapter 6, still part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would expound on this, give us our daily bread. And he says, look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. The birds don't go hungry. The flowers are adorned in finer arraignment than Solomon himself. And many of you have memorized this verse in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. When God's people pray and prioritize his kingdom, I don't know any other way to say this. God has promised he will give you your daily bread when the day that you need it arises. Seek first his kingdom. Come in a posture of dependence on him and he will take care of you. As you pray, again, I'm going to challenge you this week to go and pray in this way. Be specific about what it is that, God, I've got this coming up or I have this need. It's not a name it and claim it, but it's to say, God, I am dependent on you. There is something about even when we've got enough food for the whole week to just say, God, thank you for the food that is on my table today because you provided it. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that our typical prayers are about meals, personal plans, and personal blessing. It will transform those prayers for your meals when you are dependent and come in a heart of dependence to understand this comes from the Lord. I am guilty of making a half-hearted thank you for the prayer for the food on my plate. But even in that, God was gracious in spite of me to provide my daily bread. The second personal petition that we can make, according to Jesus, is number two, be quick to confess and willing to do the work of forgiveness. Be quick to confess and be willing to do the work of forgiveness. Jesus says this, pray in this way, and forgive us our debt as we also have forgiven our debtors. That word debt is not primarily meant to mean a financial um, payment. It is meant to describe a spiritual debt that we owe God because of our sin. Jesus is saying you should pray and ask God to forgive you of your sin, your trespasses, your lawlessness, there's, there's multiple words used for sin across Scripture. Some of them uh, represent just the, the sin that we carelessly do. A couple of them even represent sin that we do that we didn't even know we were doing it. But others represent sin that we knew exactly what we were doing and we crossed the line anyways. 
And all of that creates a debt to a holy God. Now, what I want to make clear here today is that when Jesus is offering this prayer and he's guiding them in prayer, he is, he is talking to those who are part of the kingdom of heaven. And that's an important distinction because what Jesus is saying is you do not have to pray daily for salvation. That, that's not what he's saying. There's, there's a freedom in Christ. The, the book of Hebrews reminds us Christ was appointed once to die for sin. Not that he would have to be crucified over and over. His payment for sin saves us. But what Jesus is saying is this. You are in the kingdom. You've already can call God Father, remember, as an adopted son or daughter. But yet, we live in a broken world. Paul himself said, I do the things I know I shouldn't do. And I don't do the things that I should do. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. What Paul is simply saying is, though Christ in his graciousness and mercy has saved me, I have a daily debt of forgiveness to make my heart clean. As David would say, create in me a clean heart, not for salvation. Now, if you're here today and you have never put your faith in Christ and have never asked him to forgive you of sin, then the very first prayer you want to pray is a prayer in asking God to forgive you and to save you so that you may call him Father and not judge. But if you belong to him today, then we pray and ask God to forgive us our daily debt. Now, I want to give you a principle. I got this again from uh, uh, Pastor John MacArthur. I think it's very helpful. And it's the example here in your outline. It's the foot washing principle. If you go back, and it's a very familiar story of John chapter 13. It's at the Lord uh, as he's getting ready to, to, to do the, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, which we're going to commemorate here in a little while. If you remember, before everything gets started, Jesus gets up, puts on a towel, gets a water basin, and begins to wash the feet of the disciples. And when he gets to Peter, Peter just can't even handle it. He says, Lord, you can't do this. You're my master. Uh, I should be the one washing your feet. And then Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. And then Peter says, well, then give me a whole bath. Just sponge bath me up, Lord. I want all of it then. And Jesus essentially says, those who have bathed don't need another bath except for that which is daily, which is walking around the dust of the day. This is the principle. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and the, the blood of Calvary has washed you clean, you have taken a bath, but yet our walking in and through the daily routine of our life brings on our feet daily debt. And we say, Jesus, would you wash my feet? Would you forgive me of the daily sin that I've committed, the thoughts that I've had, the, the dark places in my heart and mind that came out, the actions that I took that did not honor you? Would you wash my feet? Does that make sense? And so you don't have to every night pray your soul to keep 
for salvation out of fear that if something happens in between that prayer and the next that you would go to hell. You're saved. But we do say, God, you are holy enough that I need a daily washing. But you'll notice also in the outline, notice the prerequisite. This is hard. We, be, we are quick to confess. When we are quick to confess, we agree with God that what we have done is sin and wicked and evil. But then he says, just as we have forgiven our debtors. This may be, for some in the room, the hardest part of the entire disciples' prayer. And I think Jesus knew that it would be hard because he finishes the prayer and then he gives a little bit of teaching about this statement. If you look with me again in verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Again, in the context, we're not talking about salvation, but we're talking about the ability to live clean before God, our ability to enjoy the blessing of relationship with him without the barrier of sin within us. And Jesus is saying, when you pray, God, forgive me of my sin, my debt to you. The prerequisite is that because of the mercy and the grace I've experienced, I will also not hold a grudge. I will forgive others. And I know that there are some, and this is, this is a reality, you go, you don't know what they've done. And all I can say is that in front of a holy God, if anyone could stand up and say, you don't know what they've done, it would be Jesus Christ. And yet he has forgiven each and every one of us. I'm reminded, one of my, when, when I was growing up, you know, back when people still got like the daily paper regularly, some may still, but on Sundays at our home, we would get the comics. Um, you know, the colored uh, paneled comics. And I, I used to love reading the comics, and one of my favorites was a comic strip called Calvin and Hobbes. Many of you know Calvin and Hobbes, and Calvin has a little bit of a vengeful, grudge-holding spirit. And I guess I had maybe thought about Calvin and Hobbes recently um, because Facebook started putting Calvin and Hobbes strips in front of me. And so I don't know how it always knows, but now I'm just overwhelmed with them and I read them. But I have one that just hit me with this relationship of forgive us as we forgive others and that work and that challenge and so uh, Calvin is in the snow, and Hobbes walks up, wow, you've made a lot of snowmen today. And then Calvin says, yep, they're effigies. Each one represents someone I hate. Then the next panel, when the sun comes out, I'll watch their features slowly melt down their dripping bodies until they're nothing but noses and eyes floating in pools of water. And then Hobbes says, I wasn't aware you even knew this many people. And then Calvin, the ones I really hate are small, so they'll go faster. Now, there's humor in that of imagining a little kid just making these effigies of snowmen for the point of the sun coming out the next day. But oh, how quickly we will do the same thing in our hearts. 
Someone has wronged us. And we want to see them melt in the sun until they're a puddle of coal and carrot on the ground. And Jesus says, For you who have known such grace and mercy, you are not allowed to withhold the same grace and mercy to others. If we are to be different from the world, one of the ways they will know we are different is that we have loved our enemy and that we are quick and do the work to forgive. And the only way, the only way to really work through that process It's not just making a mental decision. It's praying. It's asking for a supernatural power from the Holy Spirit to move your heart to compassion and not revenge, to move your heart to love and not hate, to move your heart to grace and not a grudge. For some of us, This week when we pray, you may spend a half hour just solely praying, God, I want you to forgive me. Help me forgive those who have debts against me. The third personal petition that Jesus guides us in our prayer is, ask God to guide your steps and evict your enemy. (laughs) Ask God to guide your steps and to evict your enemy. Notice he says this in the, in the prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's a couple of things here, just very briefly. This word temptation is a word that can be used for what we naturally think of temptation, like a temptation to sin, but it can also and very commonly in the New Testament be used to describe a test, like a test of character. And it's important because in the book of James it clearly states that when we are tempted to sin, that is not from God. God's holiness prevents him from tempting us to sin. But also in the book of James It is a joy when we go through trials and tests where our character is forged. And so in this, Jesus is saying a couple of things. And there's the scholars are divided on this, but you can say this: God, guide my steps that I might not sin against you. You could also say, God, if you guide me into a test of character, help me pass the test. And if I won't pass the test, don't don't lead me there. Earlier in the book of Matthew, I believe it's in chapter 4, Jesus is guiding and giving instruction which he himself has experienced. If you look at Matthew again, I think it's either chapter 4 or 5, where Jesus, it is said of Jesus that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness in order to be tempted. Or tested, right? It's that same word, tempted, tested. And when he goes into the wilderness, the enemy three times comes at him. 
trying to, uh, you know, come after his physical need, come after his own title and pride. And yet every time Jesus dismisses him with Scripture, the enemy even will twist Scripture to tell a half-truth, which is a whole lie. And Jesus sees right through it and quotes a Scripture back and eventually says, be gone, Satan, flee, go. You're not welcome here anymore. And then when Jesus in this, he says, this is how you should pray. Pray and ask God, don't lead me into temptation. Don't lead me into testing. But if I'm there, deliver me from evil. This idea of temptation, um, again, I've been reading a couple of books in, um, in preparation for these messages. Max Licato, I mentioned his book last week, The Great House of God. He on this particular thing, I think he gives an illustration that's pretty helpful. He says this, it's kind of like a little boy when it's uh, out with his dad and it's real icy and they're walking together and he slips and he falls. And so he looks up and he grabs his dad's hand and he said, Dad, don't let me hit any more slippy spots. And the dad is more than willing to oblige to make sure that he does not stumble. This, this prayer, lead me not into temptation, is more about our recognizing our own physical and spiritual weakness. To say, I have fallen down, oh God, don't let me hit the slippy spots again. The, the, the points in your outline I want you to notice briefly is, number one, know thyself. It's the little boy knowing I, I struggle. I am slipping. God, help me. For some, we need to pray, God, lead me not into temptation. Guide my steps. God, you know that I wrestle with pride. Guide me this week that I don't fall on a slippy pride spot. For others, God, you know and I know that I am wrestling with a, a version of lust, whether lust of the eyes or Lust of the flesh, God, don't let, don't, don't let me go near a slippy lust spot this week. For some, we struggle with telling the truth or expanding the truth into gossip, and we say, oh, God, guard my steps, guard my mouth this week that I don't hit a slippy spot of gossip or half-truth or write-out lies this week. No yourself, but secondly, know your enemy. Jesus says, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Understand, according to God's word, there is a spiritual enemy and Peter writing says he is like a lion who wants to steal from you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. And so often we walk through week after week thinking, I've got this. And Jesus says, oh, no, you need to come and pray. God, deliver me from the evil that I will encounter this week. Guide me away from temptation and deliver me where I, like Christ, may say, get behind me, Satan. 
when we pray, it is a spiritual exercise of asking the power of heaven to provide for our daily need. It's asking for the power of heaven for forgiveness for our daily walk in this sin-filled world and in our sin-filled hearts. And also for the power to forgive others and show mercy and grace. And we're asking for the power from heaven to keep us away from temptations where we may stumble and deliver us victory over evil. And I want to encourage you to pray again this week to go into an inner room or up into a deer stand or wherever it might be and that you would use Jesus' guide to pray God-centered prayers and then personal petitions that are asking from the power of heaven to help you to live like Christ today. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. I'm going to invite the worship team and deacons to go ahead and sort of get into place. But I'm going to ask you as best as you can to just not, not get distracted by the movement. But as we get ready to go into this, I mentioned we were at the, Jennifer and I were at the Southern Baptist of Texas convention this week. And the president of that convention, he finished his second term, which is the last term. His name's Todd Connitz from New Beginnings Baptist Church in Longview. And, man, I have such respect for him. I mean, he is just an incredible pastor and man of prayer and leading his church in prayer and such an inspiration. I mean, as, as he was preaching on Monday night, he made this statement. He was telling his own story about how he was at the church and things were on the outside looking like they were going well, but he was just empty. And he started thinking, oh, it's the church's fault, it's the culture's fault, it's et cetera, et cetera. And God said, no, it's you. And the word that came to him was the name Samson. And so this pastor, Pastor Todd, went and just back to the book of Judges to read the story of Samson. And when he got to the part, it's one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture, in my opinion. After Samson had had his hair cut, the enemies come, and the Scripture says that he stood up as like he had always done. And did not even know that the Spirit of the Lord had left him. That is a sad verse. And so Pastor Todd in telling this said in that moment he realized he was a Samson pastor leading a Samson church. I'm not saying that's necessarily where we are. But I am saying this. Anytime we try to do things in our own strength, we move towards a Samson Christian. We move towards being a Samson church. And what I would ask is that you would really take up this challenge, not from me, but from Christ, to pray, to pray. You may get in that prayer closet and realize that God's hand of blessing on you left and you didn't even know it. The good news is this, ask for forgiveness and ask for his kingdom come, his will be done 
Ask him for the daily bread. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to help you forgive others. Ask him to guide your steps and to evict the enemy, deliver you from evil. And he will. He is faithful and he will. And so as we get ready to take this supper, this today's daily bread, if you will, we're reminded that Jesus said that he is the bread of life. And so this, this morning, just a few instructions as we get ready to take the supper. Number one, this supper is for believers in Jesus Christ only. And so if you're here today and you do not know Jesus as Savior, I am just asking, I'm giving you permission. Please don't come and take the supper. The scripture is actually clear that that is a danger to you to take the supper in an unworthy manner. And it's okay. We, no, we will not judge you for not, for not coming through the line because there may be other believers here. The Scripture also says that we are to come in a worthy manner. And so if there is sin that you need to confess, if there are relationships that need to be righted, then you, if you can resolve that here before taking the supper, please do. But if you can't, then allow this to be a reminder of something you need to do and maybe you need to stay in the seat and not take the supper. This is an act of worship. Taking the bread in just a few moments is the representation of Christ's body broken for us. The cup represents his blood spilled out for our forgiveness. And so we're gonna, I'm gonna pray for us, and the music will play. And if you're in the middle, we'd ask that you'd come into the middle aisle. Come to the front, then back to the side. If you're on one of the wings, go towards the wall, and then back up in uh, on the, the interior aisles afterwards. And then hold on to the, to the two elements, and we'll take them together. All right? And so let me pray for us, and then you come, and we'll take the supper together. Father, how glorious it is to be able to call you Father. Lord, we worship your name today. You alone are holy and make it known as we even take this supper as a reminder of your holiness to forgive us our sin. Father, we pray for your kingdom to come, that you would awaken people from death to life in Christ and that the kingdom would be realized in hearts in this room and in our city and in the world today. Father, we pray for your will to be done. Help us to be obedient even in this moment to either take the supper or not take the supper or to do business with you. God, we thank you for your daily provision. Not just in physical form, but God, daily in new mercies every day. Father, forgive us our sin. We owe you a debt because of our unholiness. We thank you for salvation in Christ, that there's no condemnation for those in Christ. But God, yet we want all of you. And so forgive us those things that have just gathered up from just living in this daily world. God, help us to forgive others. May we be a people marked by mercy and grace, even to people who don't deserve it, because we first did not deserve it. Father, guide our steps. 
Lead us not into temptation. Oh God, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the victory, the power and glory. Amen.